Hello and welcome to the BLK Economics Podcast, the podcast where we aim to shine light on the events taking place in the macro economy. My name is Devin Miles, and today I'm joined by Zanaib. Um, go ahead and introduce yourself, Zanaib. I know a lot of people aren't familiar with you just yet, but you're starting to make your face more seen on the BLK Economics Podcast. Hi, my name is Zainab. I'm I'm a student at Loyola University. I'm majoring in finance, and econ has been like one of my favorite subjects in college. So, and also looking into the economy and how things move around and how decisions impact um, our economy is something that also interests me, not only in the U.S., but also in the global economy. So I'm happy to be here. That's great. And we also have a surprise for our audience today. Today, we're going to be joined by Kathleen Camilli, who is the CEO of Camilli Economics and has a plethora of experience in the economics world. How's it going, Ms. Camilli? It's doing great. I'm so happy to be here with you. Thank you. And Ms. Camilli has been very supportive of our podcast, so we tip our hats to her. Um, and economics is something that it's a really popular subject, but can you give us a little bit about your background in economics and why you decided to pursue a career in economics? I sure can. So my, I grew up in Morristown, New Jersey, and my father was a polymer chemist for Exxon in the 1960s. And um, I'm the oldest of three children, and my father was my mentor. And um, so he had always advised me to study something practical in undergraduate school. So when I got to undergraduate school, which was Douglas College, the Women's College of Rutgers University, I told him I was, I came home after the first semester and I told him I was gonna major in French because I loved languages. And he says, Kath, he says, if you're gonna major in French, you're only gonna be a translator, an interpreter or a teacher. He says, I advise you to double major in something else. Well, there was no business degree at Douglas College. There was only economics. So I tried Macroeconomics 101, loved it, found it very intuitive about how all the pieces of the world fit together. And, I, and then I came home after freshman year and I said, yeah, dad, you were right. I'm going to double major in French and economics. And then I continued to pursue those two uh, disciplines through undergraduate school and through graduate school. Wow. French is something that I don't hear too often. What made you decide to major in French? So um, you might be able to tell from my name, Kathleen Camilli, that I'm of Irish and Italian descent. Kathleen is an Irish name. Camilli is an Italian name. And uh, when I was growing up, my Italian grandparents always spoke Italian at home, even though my father didn't speak Italian at home. And um, I was fascinated by the fact that they could communicate in another language. And uh, I subsequently learned after I did four years of French in high school and then four years of undergraduate work in French uh, somebody told me, you know, you're you're gifted in languages, but I never knew I was gifted because no one ever told me. So um, I just knew I loved it. I got straight A's. So, you know, you love something that you get straight A's and it comes easy to you. So I am currently today fluent in the French language. Yes. Wow. That's something I don't hear too often. Me, myself, I tried to study a little bit of French when I was younger. Didn't go too well. Still have a lot of studying to do, but that's <laughs> awesome. But if we were to just shift the conversation into sure. a little bit more in your economics career. Can you tell us what your typical day-to-day -day will look like? Sure. So um, I, I currently have a consulting firm, but I, I do not write uh, a weekly newsletter anymore. There was a phase in my consulting career back in 2004 when I was writing uh, every week about things that were going on. 
But I found that the um, universe of commentary was overwhelming. And I decided to get out of that business. You know, in every business, when you do a startup, you have to pivot. So I pivoted to just public speaking. And um, I found that that worked for me. So I did media and public speaking. Um, and that's basically what my firm consists of now is public speaking. Okay. And public speaking is something that a lot of people are fearful of, is known to be one of the number one fears. In fact, it's actually feared over death. So if you were to just give a little bit of tip for anybody in the audience out there that wants to actually Certainly. sharpen that skill, what are some of the things that you would want them to know? Okay. So you just got to jump in the pool and start swimming. That's my advice. So I started doing television in 1988 when I was 27 years old. I, was in, I did my first TV interview on the floor of the American Stock Exchange by what was then um, Financial News Network in Los Angeles. It, it subsequently became CNBC. And after I did my first net, uh, TV interview, I realized, gee, this is really not hard for me. I can do this really easily. So I did television for 20 years. And when you're an economist on Wall Street, you do public speaking all the time because you're speaking to the sales and trading floors force on the trading floor. You're going out and you're seeing clients. So you're doing public speaking. So my audiences got bigger and bigger over time. And eventually I, you know, when you're, when you, when you're an economist, you always use props. So you use slides, you always have a slide deck and uh, you know, it became very, very easy to put an economic deck together and stand in front of a large audience and speak to the slides. And also I, I, I like to teach, so I'm t basically teaching through the slides. And if you love what you do, it comes easy after you practice a little bit. That, that was really good um, about loving what you do. Um, also, like in your opinion, what are the traits of a successful economist? Okay, well, it, it, it depends on what track you take in economics. So mine was a little bit different because I really loved economics, but I knew in my first job out of undergraduate school that I was never going to be a PhD economist. In my first job, I worked for a consulting firm. I worked with three other PhDs. I ran uh, two models, uh, a cap capacity utilization model and a capital expenditures model. And I didn't find the output of the models believable. And so, cause I saw the errors in the forecast. And so I said, you know, I said, this is great. The theory is great. I love how economics works, but a PhD is not for me. So uh, when I decided to pursue graduate studies, I did an MBA in finance instead because I, I was more oriented toward business. But economics has always been the foundation of my work. I just don't have a PhD. And you should know as young students that um, there's two very different career paths. So if you have a PhD and you're credentialed from one of the top 10 universities in the United States, you know, you have a different path than, than someone who pursues a business, uh, business uh, economics. But business economics has served me very well. As you know, you're members of the uh, National Association of Business Economists. I too have been a member uh, during, you know, during my career in Wall Street. I'm still a member today. Um, and it's a wonderful organization of people who are both PhDs and non-PhDs, but who are practicing in the field of economics. That's excellent. And for those of you who were paying attention, she also just mentioned that she got her MBA in finance. But for those of you who don't know, she also got it while getting her MA in French studies <laughs> while working at the Federal Reserve. So yes. I do have to applaud you for that. But <laughs> I just want to know a little bit about how your 
day to day looked like back then? How were you able to be so efficient and get so much done while still working and studying? Because I know myself right now, I'm an undergrad. I still have time or trouble sometimes juggling the different tasks that we as students are faced with. But what advice could you give to students who are maybe just trying to get their time management skills down? Okay. So that's a great question. So um, I focused in my early 20s on getting all my education done. And it was really because of my dad. My dad said, if you're going to do a master's degree or PhD, try and get this done before you turn 30. So, and I needed to work because I didn't have the luxury of going to graduate school full time. And so that means all your free time is taken up going to class in the evening because I went to school in the evening and then studying on the weekends. And I did that, let's see, from 1983 to 1989 with two degrees. I graduated in 1986 from, uh, from, uh, with the French degree. And then I graduated in 89 with the MBA. So yeah, it took me six years. It took me six years. Uh, and, but I, you know what, um, it really doesn't matter. I think what matters is that, you know, that you want to pursue a, uh, an advanced degree and you'll just work to make it happen. Like I knew in my heart that that's what I wanted. I wanted to get those credentials. I wanted to be respected in the field. And in order to be respected in the field, you have to, you have to do the work, right? By the way, I also managed to meet my husband while I was doing all that and then get and get married before I finished my before I finished my MBA. So it, it's possible if you meet the right guy. Yeah, that's inspirational. Yes, yeah, it is totally inspirational, like listening to your story and everything. And this is a little bit like shifting gears. But like, given that you're a woman and there is less women in this field and everything. Yes. So like, what advice would you give to all the women that want to be successful in this field? Oh, it's a great question. First of all, you have to love it. Okay. And I take it from just talking to, to Devin that all of you who have put this podcast together, you love economics. You love like, it's like a puzzle, like how the world fits together. So that's the first thing. Once you love it, then everything else is just the work of getting credentialed. And you just have to apply yourself to the work. Now for women, yeah, it's harder. I think you, for you women, you young women, you have the greatest role model of all. You have the first female chair, Janet Yellen, the first female chairman of the Federal Reserve and the first female treasury secretary in the United States of America. So you have the greatest role model of all. Uh, And um, so- uh, I don't know. I think it's it's probably easier for, in our day. You know, there weren't you're, just as you said, there weren't very many women. There's there are more and more women studying economics undergrad. Maybe not not maybe not getting a PhD, but I don't know. I don't know if the field's balanced out now in graduate school. Half women, half men. I don't know the statistics. But I say, if you love it, you just keep working at it. You keep pursuing it. You keep you know applying for jobs. So. You have to love, you have to, you have to love the study. I mean, that, I think that's the first place to start, but you, you should, it's, I think it's much easier for you now than it was for us. And I hope we, I'd hope we did a little bit to make that possible by staying in the field and being stubborn and not giving up. It's easy to give up. It is. It's very easy to give up and it's very commendable, your experience and your pursuit to where you are today. And you touched a little bit on jobs and how it's easier to get in the field today. But if we're looking just at 2023, we are in a little bit of an uncertain economic time. 
Yeah. And I just want to know if you were to, let's say, envision yourself in a time like this where you see layoffs and you see companies doing hiring freezes, what type of advice would you give to students who are about to graduate from either graduate school or undergraduate school going into the workforce and securing a gig? Okay. You need to keep applying for the jobs. It's plain and simple. I don't know how much you know about all the business cycles we've had in the U.S. economy, but I graduated in 1981, which was one of the deepest economic recessions in the in the history of the country in the 20th century. Paul Volcker had risen interest rates up to 22%. And I graduated in 81 in the midst of that deep downturn. And all the on-campus interviewing I did didn't work. So you know what I did? I opened up the newspaper. At the time, we had the job ads in the newspaper. And I started applying for jobs. And one of them worked. I got the job. So you just, you just have to be persistent. You know, um, I'm like a little, I'm like one of those, somebody once described me uh, as having tremendous tenacity. You know, um, those little dogs, um, those little yappy dogs that if they grab somebody's pant leg, they hold on, like they hold on to the pant leg and you're trying to shake the dog off. That's what I'm like. I'm not going to give up. So that's my advice to you graduating from either undergrad or graduate school. You just have to keep plugging away. You have to keep applying for jobs. You have to keep getting, you have to keep accepting that you're rejected and you can't give up. I'm still doing that today, by the way. I apply for, for board of, boards of directors seats that are all in different places around the world. I often never even make it to the short list. Okay. So I'm getting turned down. I mean, you know, so that's just a fact of work life and you have to overcome it. Hope that's helpful. <laughs> Hope I didn't scare you. Hope I didn't scare you. No, it's not scary at all. Like it shows how resilient you are. And if you are at this resilient at this stage, it shows like we also have to be resilient. We have to put in the work, be yeah. it, not give up. Yeah, it's true. That's the way life is, you know. Um, so I know that you look both at both micro and macroeconomics. So, like, do you prefer one over the other, and why? So that's a great question. I think I prefer macro because as I said to you earlier, it's the world is like a big puzzle, the way it fits together. And, um, you know, I was very influenced in the 1970s uh, because I come from a working class family about inflation. And I just couldn't believe when I went with my mother to the supermarket that the prices were ri rising, it seemed like every week. And I said, what's happening to us? Why are these prices going up? It made me curious. You know, what, what, why is this happening? And so I wanted to understand it more. That was also one of the reasons I, I wanted to study business or economics was just to understand how the world fit together. Also, in the 1970s, we had two oil crises and we had to wait online for gas at the gas station. That made me wonder, what has happened in the world that caused that, that's influencing my life? So- you know, these are, this is kind of the background of, you know, how, why I, I decided to do what I, what I did. You're influenced by things that happen to you in life, both negative and positive. Did I answer your question? Was it two, was it two parts? Was there something more to it? No, it was just, um, which one do you prefer and why do you prefer? Oh, yes, which one do I prefer? So I prefer the macro. So microeconomics is about the functioning of the corporation. And, and eventually I went on to do an MBA in, BA in finance. So when you do finance, you're, you're studying the corporation, right? Everything about how the corporation works. 
And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could say I love both because finance is my finance basically is micro. <laughs> I mean, yes, it, I think it's similar because I'm also like major in finance and going to my next question. So like, what is it that you've learned from your job that you now use in your life? Oh God, that's so hard to say. So when you're an economist and you, and you just are going about your daily business, you know, maybe you have a conversation with the person in a grocery store or you meet somebody and they, you say you're an economist. They want to know what's going on. That's the first thing they ask you. I had an encounter yesterday with a woman in town at a shop, you know, business owner. She said, can you explain to me what's going on? She said, I heard on the news that in Florida, they're handing out cartons of eggs because eggs have become so expensive. And why are the eggs so expensive? And they're giving them out for free. It's a basic food, food staple. It's, 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 it's part of the workings of daily life. And so for me, it's a, just a natural, for me, it's so uh, just natural, like economics. I think of, I, I have a, uh, my brain, uh, because that's because of my study, looks at the world through the economic lens. I look at the world through the economic lens. Uh, many people don't look at the world through an economic lens. So when they meet you, they want to understand better. So uh, that's how it helps me in my, in my daily life. Uh, yes, I mean, yeah. Interfacing with the public, talking to people, giving presentations, uh, working on boards of directors. I mean, what do I do on a board of director now at this stage of my life? I'm giving them my insight and what, on what I think is currently happening in the economy to help them run the corporation better in this environment. That's understandable. And you mentioned the lens that you have as an economist. And something that I saw in your bio is that back in the early 2000s, you were able to call the top of the tech bubble. And yes. I want to know, what were you seeing, if we are speaking about lenses, yeah. what were you seeing back then that served as a sign that something was bound to happen? So... Um, I, as I was working as an economist on, on wall street, I became very frustrated with people who would come, well, economists are forced to come out and write and forecast. And as you know, economic forecasting is very, very difficult and you make a lot of mistakes and there are a lot of errors. And don't forget that economics is a social science. So when you make an error, you hurt people. Okay. And my father, by the way, reminded me when I decided economics, he said to me, are you going to get a BA or a BS? I said, dad, I don't know which one it is. I think it's a BS. He said, no, that's impossible because my father was a scientist. He said, economics is an art. It will never be a science. So over time, when you're on a trading desk and you're forecasting, forecasting, you know, you're, you're every week, you're making forecasts of economic indicators and you study data, you simply study data. So over time, I began to re realize that there were patterns because think about it, in 2000, I had already lived through two, down, two recessions in the 1970s. I lived through the 1981 downturn. I lived through the stock market bubble bursting in 1987 and the downturn that was supposed to happen in 88, 89, but it didn't happen until 1990. And then, uh, and then I, and then, you know, by the time I got to 2000, at this time I was about 40 years old, I, I had figured out what were the indicators that lined up that predicted recession. 
Yeah. So I'll never forget it. It was, uh, it was in 2000. I wrote a piece in December and I said, I put the title of it, a recession in 2000, uh, in 2001. And, uh, it earned me an, uh, it earned me an invitation to the, uh, to the Harvard club because, uh, people were flabbergasted. I was actually saying there will be a recession in 2001. Anyway, I won a lot of awards for that forecasting in 1999, 2000, 2001, um, from Business Week in the Wall Street Journal. But I assure you, it's because of making so many forecasts over the years, making lots and lots and lots of errors, but then going back and figuring out where the error was and how to improve. So, yeah. And that, by the way, that string of forecasting successes is what earned me the right to serve on my first board of directors in 2004 because there were um, clients of the firm I worked for. One of them was a CEO of a bank in Massachusetts. And he came to me and said, uh, when so-and-so retires, I want you to be on our board. And indeed I helped him. I helped him sell the bank because in 2007, I called, I made an early recession call in November of 2007. And he was able to sell the bank before the great financial crisis in September of 2008 with all the shareholders intact. So yes, that is my gift. That is my gift. That's my expertise that I've honed over the years of practicing economics. Yes. No, that's phenomenal. I wish I had a lens that would allow me to predict or even see when the next recessions are coming. That's, that's awesome. And yeah, but, but, but don't, don't apply it to everything because I'm not the greatest trader. Like I trade, I trade one of my own portfolios. I'm not the greatest trader. As I said to you, I think uh, in the pre-interview, you should get some of the greatest hedge fund traders and bring them to your show and and learn their lessons because I'm not the greatest trader. Well, I guess that's the trade-off, no pun intended. If you're great at one thing, it might be hard to be great at a totally different thing. Maybe, Maybe. that's just a trade-off. Maybe. But this has been a phenomenal interview. And before we conclude our interview, I want to get two more questions from you. Um, I see that you're a avid reader and you even have a immense book collection right there behind you. I, I want to know what is your favorite book or what book recommendations do you, would you like to give out to the audience? What are your, some of your favorite books? Oh gosh. It's, so the reason I read so much is because I'm a lifelong learner. And when you're serving on boards of directors, you have to keep learning. Right now I'm learning about AI. Okay. And, uh, how we can apply AI in the businesses that I'm on the board of. Um, favorite books. I like Charles McKay's books about bubbles through history. Uh, the, the, it's called uh, popular delusions and the madness of crowds. Uh, it studies, you study bubbles going all the way back to the Dutch, uh, tulip bubble in the, in the, uh, in the 1500s. So Charles McKay would be one of my favorite authors to recommend to economic students. Uh, you know, um, what else? I mean, any Adam Smith book, Wealth of Nations, you know, all the Adam, all the books that Adam Smith uh, wrote, I would recommend those. Since these books are, some of these books are my favorite books to today. They're in my library at home, but, but that's not what I currently read. You should read them very definitely. Um, I refer to them, you know, when I talk to people, but um, I, I read to learn. So I read to learn. Today I read to learn. I don't read, you know, I, I don't read enough fiction actually. <laughs> Everyone tells me, Kathleen, you should relax more, read fiction. Where's the fun in that? <laughs> what? 
And there's the fun? fun in that if you're just reading fiction. Yeah, well, it, it, actually, you know what? When you're when you're an economist, your mind is so busy. Sometimes it's good to read fiction just to relax. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, so, like, the last question for today, and thank you so much for being here. Um, so, looking at all this series of accomplishments that you had, what is one thing that you can point to that you're really proud of? Well, I guess it's that I'm married to the same man for 35 years. And I have two beautiful sons and they're 25 and 27. And I managed to do all that stuff work related and still have a family. And I'm a very family oriented person. So I, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to say my work. I mean, it's great to be accomplished and to work hard, but I love my family. And, you know, that's the, I mean, that's the greatest thing that I've done probably in my life is to have a family. You know, I should probably tell you that my parents, I was raised in a Roman Catholic family. My parents were very Christian. And they told me when I was young, because they went to parent-teacher conferences, and the teachers told them, your daughter is very, very bright. And they would come home and they told me that, that people who are uh, endowed with so many gifts, intellectual gifts, are obliged to serve society. So I was not to have these gifts just to waste them but to use them to help people. And I've always tried my whole life to use these gifts to help people. So. Yeah, that's a wonderful answer. And you've been a tremendous help to us. And we do want to thank you again for coming and sharing some of your insight and your wisdom. And if anybody wants to follow up with you or just keep up to date with what you're doing, yes. is there anywhere they can follow you? The best way is on LinkedIn. I, I often post to LinkedIn. And so that's the best way to follow me. And I'm and and by the way, if you send me an invitation to connect, I usually always say yes. And unless you're some kind of a salesperson trying to sell me something. I usually always say let, yes so you can and I'm um, I'm a creator on LinkedIn. So I believe you can always hit follow and see what I have I have go I have uh, going on. Well, the LinkedIn is there and everybody who's listening today, please like, share and comment on the episode. I thank you for joining us and have a great week.